0: This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, Show 430.
1: You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from biggerpockets.com, your home for real estate investing online.
0: What's going on, everyone? It's Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with a special show. That's right, with David Green here in the sea Shed. What's up, David?
2: What's going on, Brandon? It is awesome to be doing a show in the Seashed. That's the becoming sea a bit shed. of a tongue twister. She shed, there. she shed. Yeah, yeah and this is a cool way shore. to close up 2020.
0: Yeah, let's that, say that speaking of 2020, this show is actually about 2020. It's about the end of 2020. And so, what David and I are going to be doing today is breaking down some of the best pieces of advice we've gotten all year from some guests. We'll be playing little clips and then talking about them. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. But before we get to that, let's get to today's quick tip. Today's quick tip. It's the end of the year, which means that a new year is beginning. And if you're watching this in the future, ignore that. But regardless of when you're watching this, if you have not sat down and spec'd out what you want your year to look like. What's the outcome of the end of the year? What amazing things you want to get accomplished this year? Don't just say, oh, I know I should do it. Do it. Like, take the time to do it. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow. And if you can, go out for a weekend. Take your spouse out. Do it together with your spouse. It'll be game-changing. Get you guys all lined up together. And you will never regret those moments. Anything you want to add on that?
2: I have never regretted any time I did something intentionally. The best friends I picked, I intentionally chose them. The best businesses I started, I intentionally chose it. Everything that I didn't like about my life, I fell into because it was easy. So it's safe to reason that if you plan out your year and you intentionally pursue it, you're going to have a much better year.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, definitely makes a lot of sense.
3: Passive income without the property headache, it's possible. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you wanna try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers a targeted 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of net profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, are first in line to get paid. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of a physical asset mitigate downside risk. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by directing your funds from Wall Street to Main Street and supporting local economies. The investment is reserved for accredited investors. Take control of your investments and secure more passive income today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com slash Pockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com slash Pockets.
0: So let's get on with today's show. Again, today we're talking about a recap of 2020, some of the best moments, some of the best clips. So we're going to just start here right at the beginning. It's a very good place to start. So Pollock Shah, we had on the show back on, was a show 368 of the podcast. Former corporate executive, made good income, wasn't satisfied with the lack of freedom. Uh, if you remember that episode, we talked a little bit about risk-taking muscle in that show. But here's the clip we're going to play. Hear the tape.
4: Yeah, one of the big things as a nine to fiver is you get so used to this cushy lifestyle where there's like a paycheck coming in. You know, you go to work at a certain time, you come back at a certain time, and then you get a certain amount of money every month. And there is very little unpredictability, although you could get laid off any minute. But you know, you just get used to this lifestyle and it's really hard to become a risk taker being that way for years and years Mm -hmm. it kind of conditions you to just be used to like these little vacations like i get two weeks at this time and i get one week at this time and it's really hard to do that but what i learned is you know risk is like taking risks i always assumed actually that people are born with these abilities but that's a skill that can be developed and i probably read it somewhere i don't know but i uh I call it like flexing my risk-taking muscle. And in the beginning, I had to learn to be comfortable taking risks and assigning numbers to it so that I got more and more comfortable. And then, you know, it, it's in the last few years, I have I have understood that it's something, it's a skill set, you can develop it. So, So just building a framework around it helped.
2: That's really good. Do you have any advice for the listeners of some things that you did that helped you build that risk-taking muscle? Because I really do think that, and Brandon, you might agree, probably the majority of people who want to get started in this and don't, it's because of just that fear that encompasses the risk that's involved. Yeah,
4: yeah that's, a, that's a really good question. We, um, what, what I would do is I would make a, a spreadsheet and do like the first column as put all of the risks involved in a deal. And in the beginning, so we do, bar, we do bar deals. That's what I work on. And Bro, okay, in yeah. the beginning, for example, thinking about my first, very first bar deal, there are like so many risks that come to mind. And as a new investor, what, what one does is you just club all of these together and put them in a big risk pot. Mm. And then just it just seems like a really, like a massive daunting task, but they can be broken down. So I would make a spreadsheet and build first column has all of the risks and for example for in a bird deal i would say maybe it's what if i go over my construction numbers or what if i what if the property doesn't appraise for what i wanted to appraise for at the end what if i don't get the rent that i want and so list all of them and then assign a dollar value to it that would be like the worst case scenario so for me for example in construction to mitigate that risk, we started putting 15% extra towards contingency. So we say, okay, this is a risk. We can go over construction. So let's start putting 15% and that mitigates that one risk. So moving on to the next one, right? Then you say, okay, what if it doesn't appraise for what I wanted it to appraise? And having been in corporate and being a dabbler investor before, I know that A lot of people put 25% down and buy properties. So if I'm left with 5% in the deal, it's still better than putting 25% down and buying a property. If I don't get the rent that I want, Mm -hmm. okay, do I still want to invest in this property knowing that the worst case scenario rent is $100 less than what I'm expecting it to be and assign dollar values to them and then decide if it's still worth pursuing it. And then the worst case scenario, I always think, If the worst case scenario happens, am I willing to spend that money to learn what I'm going to learn from this deal?
0: Yeah, okay, so this, the idea of, it's really easy to accept the life that we're given, Mm -hmm. right? It's really easy to say, hey, this is where I've been, this is what I have, and the majority of the world does that. They don't think, how do I expand out that? My question for you, David, is why do you think that is? And what's the first step in getting outside that? I
2: think that risk Inherently sounds negative. First off, we're conditioned to look at when you say risk, what you're talking about is what you can lose. Mm -hmm. So it feels expensive. There's a price to pay to take risk. And I think what Palak here is pointing out is that certainty is sometimes more expensive than risk. That you being locked in that job and having comfort, making your 80K a year with your two weeks of paid vacation and no risk actually comes like with, in some cases, a, a prison, that makes sense. So it's expensive to go for certainty. You, your ceiling comes down pretty low. It's not like you have limitless ability to move forward. You have to be at a certain location at a time. There's maybe things you want to do and that, that company isn't offering you that opportunity. So the first step I would say is understand that while risk is going to cost you something, certainty almost always costs more. If you look at the highest paying jobs, they're commission-based. Why is that? Because there's risk with it. If you don't work, money's not just coming your way. It's easy to fall into that. I'm a house cat. Someone's bringing me my tuna. Okay. But a lion loves the hunt. If you want to feel like a lion all the time, you have to accept that there's going to be some risk. But I continually remind myself that certainty is actually more expensive than risk. So I don't just focus on the negative elements of risk.
0: You know, this is one of the reasons I really like house hacking as well, because house hacking is a low risk way to mm-hmm. get into your first deal. It's, it's get, building up that risk muscle, that, that muscle that it, it's a little scary. It is scary. It's not it's not easy necessarily mm-hmm. to go buy out your first property, uh, buy that duplex, live in half of it. But you can do it. Partnerships are another way. They're a fairly low risk way to do it. If you're like even if you got one percent of somebody's deal, but you got to help out with every single aspect, it's a very low risk way to get that muscle going up. So people are struggling with that right now. Think about that. What is the smallest, like lowest risk way you can still take some risk. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah.
2: Brilliant. You got to get comfortable with the It's like surfing, right? You don't need to go out there on a 40 foot wave when you're learning, yeah. but you do need to get into the water and get yeah. wet and feel what surfing feels like. So we start with smaller waves, but once you've got that down now, you naturally want to progress. Yeah, that's totally true.
0: All right, moving on to the next clip of the day.
2: In my opinion, the most important thing we can do right
0: now, aside from like be a community, stick together and quarantine so we can beat this, as an investor and a businessman, one of the most important things we can do is like still continue to pay our vendors on time and also pay our investors on time because like I don't want to come out of this known as the guy that called his hard money lenders and asked for 12 months forgiveness. Like I don't want that reputation. I want to be the guy that was like Oh damn, when everything shut down, we did work for Justin and he still paid us. You know, I just put a new roof on a house uh, last week on the spot, $15,000 check. I mean, obviously I don't want to write that right now, but at the same time, I respect my roofers and I still want to do business with them. Yeah. So I love that advice about reputation mattering so much more than even profit during this time. Now, here we are almost a year into this COVID mess and- We're still not all the way through it yet, right? We don't know what 2021 is going to hold, but I think that principle still applies is that the integrity that you handle problems, it's like the fire, you know, like you're refined by the fire, the integrity at which you handle it is going to help you the next five, 10, 15, 20 years Mm -hmm. of your business. Uh, And I think that this year, uh, I said this on the, on the bigger pockets business podcast that just came out, or I think it's either coming out now or just came out, but It's like, this is a refining year for real estate investors and for business owners. It refined who had the right systems, who had the right processes in place, who had the right integrity. And those people who didn't are gonna struggle.
2: One of my favorite quotes is that when the tide goes out, you find out who's been swimming naked. Yeah. And the last 10 years or so, we've just seen the economy increases, increases, increases. You can make bad decisions and you're okay because the tide just keeps going up. And when something like this happens and, and it shakes, the tide will go down. Yeah. And where I'm getting at with that is your reputation doesn't seem like it matters as much. When the environment is so conducive, the wind's like always at your back. Been, What's that? Are
0: you saying like when people are all panicking and crazy, like it doesn't matter about your... No, that's
2: when it does that's, matter. Okay, We've yeah, gotten yeah, away yeah. from that because it was so easy that your reputation yep. didn't matter. And then once you see that little bump in the road oh, now, yeah. it exposes if you're running a good business, if you're a man of your word or a woman of your word, if you have sound principles. So don't get lulled into that false sense of security of a rising tide being all that matters, because at some point it is gonna change and how you your reputation and how you manage your business will become very important.
0: Yeah. What do you think about his advice about you know not trying to catch a falling knife? Um, how do we balance that with at the same time saying we want to keep you know growing our portfolios even in bad times good times we want to do whatever like how do you balance that and how have you balanced that and how do you continue because we don't know if the knife is completely fallen yet yeah. right it may not it may not fall more but if you always took the like the viewpoint of well there's risk so I'm not going to do it
2: you'd never do anything you'd never do anything so how do you balance that. I think that that analogy of you never want to catch a falling knife typically comes from a stock market perspective where prices are dropping and the only way you make money is buying low and selling high. Mm -hmm. So when I think the knife could be falling, I don't look at it like, well, I want to wait till the knife goes all the way down because we don't bet on appreciation to make money in real estate. You shift your strategy and you start buying properties where even if the value kept coming down the profitability or the cash flow of the property would be good or over a 10 15 20 year window like I caught a falling knife when I bought my first house in 2009 I bought it for 195 it had originally sold at 565 it dropped down to about 180 okay. I could have paid 180 a couple months later I didn't hit the bottom does it matter to me now that it's worth yeah. $475,000 <laughs> again? So, But yeah. taking that big picture approach is a really big way. And then I just don't like investing in any asset where there's only one way that I win. It's why I don't get into Forex trading and I don't make these like quick and easy, quick, yeah. fast deals where I just got to buy low, sell high. And that's my only option. What we like to do when we're investing is several layers of strategy that will be profitable for that deal. Yeah. What's your thoughts on Bitcoin right now? I think that people are going to like Bitcoin because I think that we're, in a sense, kind of ruining our currency (laughs) by just printing more and more and more of it. That's one of the reasons that COVID didn't shut down the economy like a lot of people expected. They just didn't factor in the fact that the government could just keep pumping stimulus in like it probably should have went down and it didn't. So I think that. I don't know about Bitcoin itself, and I don't want to claim to be an expert in cryptocurrency. But I think things like cryptocurrency, maybe like baseball cards, other things that you might not have considered, will gain value as we debase our own currency. Yeah, I don't think
0: I don't think you're wrong. I'm actually might I'm thinking my I might just like take ten or fifteen grand, which you know to put it in perspective. Like I, you know, I have a lot of money. Like I'm not like you know uh, Bill Gates here, but yeah. like it, it's not like. Life changing money. So I'm not telling people what I'm trying to say. It's not really a risk for you. Yeah. I'm not saying go out and take your life savings and go buy Bitcoin, but I might take a small piece of my portfolio, a small piece of my disposable income and put that into uh, like Bitcoin. And I might put into a few other things as well as a, I don't want to like gold, for example, Mm -hmm. as potentially as a, it may go to zero.
2: What? As a hedge.
0: Maybe as a hedge, but also more of as a long gamble. Okay. Like if Bitcoin goes to, you know, 10, you know, a thousand X of what it's worth today, I'll be Mm -hmm. like, well, I'm sure I'm glad I did that It made my million dollars or whatever. But in reality, I don't think it's going to, and I may lose all of it. But if I do that across two, three, four different, like, you know, somewhat crazy speculative investments, and it's only a very small portion of my portfolio, I think that might be a fun way to, uh, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm a diversify within your like basket kind of guy. Like, you know, like I'm not like getting, you know, put 10% of your money in stocks, 10 in real estate, 10 in cars, 10 in gold. I'm not that guy. I'm all real estate. But if I want to do 1% of my income in something else for the for the fact that it may shoot up, I may mm-hmm. do it. What I don't like is that Bitcoin is at the very highest it's ever been right now, again. And again, this show's coming out a few weeks after we're recording this, so, or a week after, I think. So maybe it dropped again, but it's doing crazy good. That always makes me scared. It's the whole uh, taxi cab philosophy,
2: right? Is when you're a taxi cab driver, says to invest in something that's when you should get out of it well it's and so confusing because on one hand you hear don't buy, uh, catch a falling knife and on the other hand you hear don't buy something when it's at its peak if yeah, the knife's really know, high, yeah it's so what do you do it.
0: yeah it's it's uh you invest for sound principles
2: there you go I guess, like, that's the or, or, or you'll drive yourself crazy trying to predict you things will. you can't
0: you'll drive yourself completely nuts all right let's move on to the next clip of this show And this, by the way, is Justin Stamper, who's a good buddy of ours here on the show. He's the guy from Zombie House Flipping, if you've seen that. He was on episode 375, and that's where this clip comes from. All right. So for our next clip, we actually asked in episode 376, we went and talked to 12 real estate, just rock stars, people who are really good with finance and real estate, asked them their advice on what they should be doing during a recession or during hard, difficult times. And we're going to pull out one little clip here from our friend, David Osborne. David Osborne is a guy we've had on the show a couple times, uh, New York Times bestselling author of Wealth Can't Wait. Uh, he wrote, he co-wrote uh, Bidding to Buy that we came out with here at Pockets recently. And here's what David Osborne said that I think is just so good.
5: Write yourself a 10-year vision. Right at the top of the page is 2030. My last 10 years have been amazing. My wife and I are getting on better than ever. My health and fitness is incredible. My kids are all doing amazing. My daughter's in college, whatever. Then get into business. You say 10 years ago today, we had this crisis, this coronavirus. The entire economy came to a halt. And I'm so proud of the way I led and the character I developed and the man I became through that time period. I made great decisions, I cut overhead quickly, I preserved cash, and then I took full advantage of the recovery and because it was such a deep, sharp crash, the recovery was long and lasting and there was a lot of money to be made and that's what really made my fortune and helped me get to a whole new level. And you remember, the worst thing about a boom is that every day you're in a boom, you're one day closer to a crash. Every day you're in a crash, you're one day closer to a boom. And the great thing about right now is we're in a crash. So we're going to ride this thing out and then we're going to ride a big boom into the future. We'll be twice the people, twice the business people we are, twice the men we are or women, stronger fathers, stronger husbands or wives, whatever. And we're going to do all that. And the reason it's valuable to write about your future from today is it puts perspective on it. In 10 years, you won't remember the pain and fear that we're living through today. You'll just remember the abundance that came from it. So good luck. Write your 10 year vision.
0: Yeah. So David is basically saying here, of course, like, Keep an eye on the long-term perspective. I mean, it's, it's really easy to get caught up in like, what am I doing right now? What's happening right now? And honestly, as you go into 2021, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, in 2020, nobody could predict what happened here. But when you have a long-term 10, even 15, 20 year outlook on your life, you realize like this will be a blip, but it's not going to be like a mm-hmm. life-changing necessarily blip for most of us. It'll be a life-altering blip, but not like life, not life-ending, right? Right.
2: It's kind of like what I said, where when I bought that house at 195 and it dropped to 180, I was kicking. Imagine the emotions I was feeling. You're an idiot. Why are you doing this? You should have waited. You bought too soon. You don't know what you're doing. And then and, and that moment over that couple of months, that's how I felt. And I was thinking I should never buy real estate. Same yeah. thing happened on that very first deal where my tenant took advantage of me. We we documented that in the bigger pockets podcast. I think 169. I went over that. I thought I sucked at being a landlord. I did suck at being a landlord. It felt like a terrible decision. Looking back, I have a house I bought at 195. It is now worth about 475 and it's cash flowing over a thousand dollars a month. That was not a bad decision. Yeah. Almost everything that I look at from a overall perspective a longer term it feels so much different than it did when i was in the moment think about a house the first house you bought what the escrow process was like yeah you were do you ever even think about it once now no no no, but in that moment it's so big so what i say is zoom out what i love about dave's advice is he's talking about creating a vision that you can set your sights on and focus on that. And it creates the emotions, like you just said, I became a much better person. I have a great relationship with my wife. I'm in really good health. So he has a setback about his health. He gets injured. He can't run. Maybe he gains a little bit of weight. In the moment, it's easy to feel bad. But when you're constantly looking at the big picture, and you're like, hey, I can bounce back from this. That was a three-month period out of a 10-year chunk of time. That meant nothing. You stay in a healthier emotional state that keeps you excited and optimistic about moving forward.
0: Yeah, that's totally true. Yeah, I love I love that idea. I mean, you know me, like we talk about the vivid vision all the time. There's a book by Cameron Harold, who I think is coming on the show in a few weeks, which mm. is pretty cool. But uh, yeah, we talk a lot about this vivid vision, about like, where do you want your life to be? Like, if you're an artist and you have a paintbrush, what do you want to paint? Go and paint it. And that's exactly what David Osborne is saying here. So I think it just, it's helped clarify for me a lot of things this year of having that vision. You know, because I had this clear vision, like I, I think I was able to navigate 2020 better. And so I, my advice for everyone listening right now is if you don't have that, create that vision do exactly what david just said
2: you sold me on it i never was a proponent of that Mm -hmm. i was much more tactical now i'm seeing after i'm seeing the changes in your own life that this is something i absolutely have to do and while i'm in hawaii i'm working on that that's awesome man it's awesome all
0: right, moving on to the next clip today. And that was David Osborne. Next one is Thatch wins. So Thatch was on episode number 395 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. You guys remember Thatch. He was a hilarious, amazing dude from the Seattle market who like, I think he was up to $100,000 a month in passive income. The guy is just a beast when it comes to real estate. Awesome energy. Still door knocks, even though he's a multimillionaire. You probably remember that little thing. No excuse attitude. Uh, and he talks about a lot about paid off houses. He was one that normally we talk a lot about leverage, but he pays off a lot of houses and the peace of mind you get from that. So with that said, let's pull up the clip from Thatch.
4: I
6: accumulated the number of doors I needed. So I know that if I had those many doors, I'd get in like 25 grand. Once I accumulated the number of doors, and then I have then I call it phase two, which is I started to pay them off. Okay. Phase one, I accumulated, phase two, then I pay it off. And once I got that out of the way, now now I am out of the rat race. Now I can Go ahead and increase whatever I want, but I'm doing it because I want to do it, not because I have to do it.
2: Yeah,
0: that's cool. Yeah, there's a lot of debate on whether or not you should pay off properties. Uh, let's let's have a debate real quick here or at a discussion. Let's say you like you could pay off a mortgage at 4% interest. And then it's basically like you're making 4% of your money, which people say is stupid from a financial standpoint. But then the beauty of having them paid off is that nobody can come take it from you. Dave Ramsey all day long would would fight for pay them off as quickly as possible or just buy them for cash. Uh, So how do you look at the debate and where do you find yourself in there?
6: Yes, so for me is I gone through the cycle now, this is this craziness going on right now, this probably not maybe the fourth or fifth time I've gone through some crazy stuff.
2: Yeah. And by craziness, I, you're talking about the coronavirus and the threat to the economy.
6: Yeah, the coronavirus, you know, i gone through the 2008 crash. But the bottom line is you got to have peace of mind at some point on this journey. Mm. If you always buy it to keep buying and leverage to keep leveraging, borrow to keep borrowing, right? And you don't have ever have paid off, you don't really have the true peace of mind. I mean, what? why are we doing all this for, right? Not to create more stress for ourselves. I will get older. I'm 50 years old. I you get older, you want peace of mind. And so yeah. in my opinion, what I learned from my mentor is figure out how much money do you need to live comfortably if everything was free and clear? And at that time I say, if I had 25,000, if it's free and clear, so i would be very comfortable. He said, well, let's make that the first benchmark. Let's figure out how many doors you need to have and let's get those paid off out of the way so that you can have peace of mind. Then after that, if you want, you can grow how much more passive income you want but your house is free and clear. You know what I mean. You don't have to worry about selling right now. There's a lot of real estate in Seattle right now that are scared to shit right now, or mm-hmm. even just in, in anywhere America, through America. But in Seattle, since we are the hot city right now with this virus, can nobody sell no real estate? Well, yeah. imagine this go for two, three months. They got they are gonna go. You know, I mean, uh, uh, broke. Let alone what they're gonna do. So I think at some point, the peace of mind is worth a lot of money. So what I learned from my mentors figure out how much money I need to have to be out of the rat race and then get that out of the way, get my house paid. I, I live in a you know big house in Mercer Island. This house is like over $3 million, free and clear, right? And I get no. everything out of the way. And after that, I go and invest and grow my net worth and grow my passive income because I want to and it's fun now. It's not because I have to.
0: All right, so that advice from Thatch, his idea of peace of mind, I, I something like that like just resonates in my soul so much, you know, like just having that like, piece that no matter what happens, I'm okay. And I think this year was a good reminder of why leverage, 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 leverage is not always the best advice. Like sometimes it's okay to pass some properties. And I've been working at that this year as well. And I hope to continue to, because there's something nice about like, what are you building for? If you're looking for that peace of mind, why not relax a little bit and, and do that? What do you think on that?
2: I think that's why you need to have your vivid vision.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because
2: from my perspective, having paid off properties, it causes me anxiety. I've got about eight right now, and I'm constantly trying to figure out what do I need to do to get those refinanced and where would I put the money? Mm -hmm. I don't have Mm -hmm. peace of mind because I've got this equity sitting out there that's not working for me, but my vision for what I want is much different than Thatch's where he was basically saying, look, I want to take risk, but I don't feel comfortable doing that while I have a family and they need to be taken care of. So I'm going to earn the right to take risk by creating enough security on this side. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. He said, you pay everything out, then you can do whatever you want. Then he goes and rolls the dice and he has a blast and he built an empire. He probably wouldn't have if he was constantly worrying, will my family not eat if I fail rolling the dice? So having the vision will make it very clear whether you should leverage, whether you shouldn't, how to go about doing it, what type of property to buy. And what we really see from people is saying, well, what are they doing? So I should go do it like for myself. But if their vi- their vision's different than yours or different than mine, then it doesn't make sense to follow what one of us is doing or what Thatch is doing himself
0: yeah that's a hundred percent yeah I think knowing yourself knowing what you want and not just taking blind advice from some random person on the internet because yep. they said to do this you you think about what what do you actually want now there's a really good book out there uh called life in air l i f e o n a i r e it's like millionaire with life I've mentioned it before on the show but I really like it a lot because it, it's all about that it's like designing a business and investment like world like you know whether it's a business or your a real estate investor around your life rather than the other way around. So you're not saying, I'm going to you know, I'm gonna do all this real estate stuff and then I'm going to fit my life in where it fits around that. You're saying, what do I want my life to look like? And then I'm going to build a business that supports that. And mm-hmm. for many people, the idea of just having more freed off properties is, is such a powerful thing. I mean, this, again, if paid off properties again give you that security you want. For some people, that's, that's the opposite of security. They want to get that money working. They want to build a faster, they want to grow faster. I mean, the more debt you use, the faster you grow, but it's the more risk you are. So yep. the, the more, more risk you have. So there's definitely a balance there. So, again, that whole interview with Thatch was just, like, fire. Like, he was just, like, spitting so much good stuff on that show. So.
2: If, any, if you ever run out of motivation, that's when to go listen to. Yes, He'll get 100%. you fired up again. Yeah,
3: 100%. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Listen up, business owners, because I've got some quick little math for you. Fewer costs equal more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Oh, also, NetSuite lives in the cloud which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. netsuite.com slash biggerpockets netsuite.com slash biggerpockets slash bigger pockets. Relay is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by ThreadBank, member FDIC. The Relay Visa debit card is issued by ThreadBank pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. and may be used everywhere Visa debit cards are accepted.
0: All right. So moving on to the next clip. The next clip we've got, oh, our buddy Tarl Yarber. Actually, I think was here earlier. Uh, Tarl actually uh, was on show number three ninety eight of the Bigger Pockets podcast. He's flipped hundreds of houses, but then he had not flipped. He had not owned any single rental properties. He Had a big business, tons of stress, wasn't too happy. So he changed his business around when he realized uh, something. So we're gonna like he actually learned from Thatch, the guy we just had on the show a second ago. He learned from him, and so he's gonna share a little bit of that right
1: now. And even though we did more deals, more production in 2017 than we did in 2016, I made the same amount of money on both years. Personally, me, my company made more money, but we had more overhead, more stress, more hours into it. And at the end of the day, I personally had the same reward doing less work in 2016, if that makes sense. And so, the, and so it was a wake-up call for me, go like, something's broken here. And I don't like this. And why do we keep doing this? Because I thought of repeating another year, this sucks. Right. So luckily you guys just had batch new right. Who was on yep. your guys's podcast recently. He's a really good friend of ours. Uh, he had a little thing that he was doing and I went to it and to go hang out with him. And it was like that perfect crystal moment. I could have probably heard somebody say this a hundred other times, read it in a book and ignored it completely. Right. And I probably did, but he said it at that moment he had, and he said, the key right now is most people build their business and then take their life and try to get their life to fit their business, whatever they have left over, right? Instead, why don't people do it the other way around where they figure out what kind of life do they actually want to live and then design their business to fit that lifestyle? And I'm like, what? Yeah, You could do that? <laughs> so <laughs> Why aren't we doing that? <laughs> and so the, and it was like that perfect, it was like, aha, my wife and I need to sit down for a second and figure out what do we even want our lives to look like? Because we never took the time to do that. And if I didn't have those failures at the end of 2017, and I actually got what we originally wanted on our business plan, I wouldn't have had time to even think about that stuff. We would have just been growing, right? And going, I would have still hated it more. So we, that was the aha moment. And at that point, my wife and I, made my wife and I sit down for three Saturdays in a row with white butcher paper out. And we started mapping out like, what do we want our actual life to look hmm. like on it? Just next year, let's just start with 2018. What do we want 2018 to look like? Because I've had a struggle with thinking long-term for a really long time because I was like, I, can't, I couldn't even think past six months or a month at times and stuff. Uh, and so we worked on 2018 and we said, what do we want to do most? What would make us most happy?
0: So the funny thing about this clip is that Tarl, who's a friend of ours, right after we rec- recorded this episode with him, like an hour later, I called him and I was like, Tarl, you said in the interview we did with you, and it's not on this clip necessarily, but you said your favorite thing in the entire world is diving. Like just you love to dive. Why don't you come to Maui for the winter and come hang out and dive more often? And he goes, that's a really good idea. And like he took the advice he just gave and he built his life around it. And now Tarl is here. He's a block from me, just like Josh Dorkin's a couple blocks from me. And now you're right here with me in this room. Also
2: because of advice you gave where you said, David, you have some decision fatigue. Why don't you come to Hawaii and get away from it all and get some perspective? got gotcha you out here. So it's all, it's, it's
0: interesting that Tarl came out here. And again, that it's similar to what we just talked about this book, Life and Air that I mentioned and building your life around it. Tarl's a great example of that. He, li- he leads his life by his lifestyle at this point. Like what does
2: he want his lifestyle to look like? And he builds his business around it. How are you doing that in your business, David? Well, I really didn't put a lot of thought into that until this trip. So getting away from it was a really big help for me. What I'm doing now is I'm, this is not something I would totally do normally. I'm looking at creating, having the whole team make vision boards, Oh, nice. writing out. These are the things that I like being here in Hawaii, looking at condos. Maybe we'll do a show where I'm talking about like what the experience has been like coming out here to buy property has helped me to realize I want a couple of these. And then I want to get a property more like yours. So that's where I wanna go. What would I need to do so that my California businesses are still operating profitably and successfully if I'm out here more often? Now my mind's constantly looking at what do I need? What do I have to change? What do I have to do differently? Who do I need to let fail a couple times to let them Mm. grow? All this stuff that I was probably before, this thinking more along the lines of, I don't want to go through that. That sounds too painful. Well, now that pain doesn't seem so bad if it means that I get to be in Hawaii more often. So, I mean, you're a man of influence. I'll I'm tell a you man that.
0: Man of influence. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but yeah. Good stuff. Like, it's good. How do you think this stuff applies to people who are just getting started? There's a tendency of people who are super successful, Taro, you know, Thatch, you or I, that we've got
2: a lot of real estate, a lot of cash flow coming in. How do you do this when you're just getting started? Well, I think a lot of people already have it. That's why they're listening to you and I on the podcast. They know that they want something different than where they are, but they don't know what that needs to look like. You really, when I first joined GoBundance, this came up a lot. Dave Osborne was constantly saying, well, what kind of life do you want? What are your goals? Everything was about goal achieving. I'm like, I don't know what goals I have. I just taken the most of what I got and trying to work with that. I didn't have a plan of where I wanted to go. So I was very confused. It took me several years to get to even this point. It's okay to take time worrying about that and thinking about it. It's a complicated process. You got to figure out what do you enjoy doing? What feels light to you? What's your superpower? What are the things that are currently draining you? It is a process to identify those types of things and label them out. So I think that the 90 day intention journal is a really great place to get started because you're going to write out your thoughts and what you want your life to look like. I think journaling and saying what you liked about your day is really helpful because you can start to analyze, well, this was awesome. This wasn't, I need more of that. And let it happen like naturally. It's going to be, you have to be purposeful about it, but give it some time to play out. And then once you identify this is something I don't want, be really intentional about getting it out of your life. Yeah. replacing it with something else. And I think it's, it is a journey. It is not a one-stop, hey, I made a decision and it's all better. Let that go. That's, that's hurting a lot of people. That's holding you back if you think, well, what's the one move I got to make to get that property under contract or to change my life? It's a series of steps and it's a muscle that you have to build. But I would say for the new people, like when I was new, I didn't even know what I wanted my life to look like. Yeah. I just knew I didn't want to have to go back to being a cop. I didn't know what I wanted to do instead. It was, it was a scarcity mindset. And that's changed from spending more time with you
0: wow oh, that's cool man uh, i i i will add this one thing it's easy when people listen to sh- like stuff like what Tarl just said be like well i want to dive every day and hang out in hawaii and there's a the phrase that we've been using a lot lately and uh it's the you haven't have you earned the right to be able to do diving every day right have you earned the right to be able to go move to hawaii uh, and for many people you have already and if you have you need to start thinking that mm-hmm. way if you have not It doesn't mean you can't start thinking that way. Like, what do you want? You just may not have that yet. Like right now, Taro was able to go, you know, diving in Hawaii sounds for the winter sounds fun. So Taro came out here. It's awesome. And we hang out like almost every day now. But he had built up a business over the last five or 10 years to be able to be able to do that. So you might be listening to this in a different spot. Still have the vision. Start thinking, what do you want? What looks great? And then build your business. Start working toward that point. So I don't want people to miss the point here. Just thinking, oh, you got like, once you get rich, you can do whatever you want. No, you should start working toward that right now. Start with the end in mind. All right. With that said, let's move on to the next clip. Oh, and this clip is with actually my performance coach, Mr. Jason Drees from episode 403 of the podcast, one uh, very popular episode of our show, one of our first weekend mindset shows. And he really pinpoints like the number one mistake that people make when they're set out to accomplish something. It's like a really simple shift that can totally change everything. Let's listen now.
1: There's two decision-making models, right? And these actually stem back from the Tony Robbins days. But the first decision-making model is, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get a property. Gonna, so it's decide, plan, commit. I'm going to decide on the target. I'm going to create a plan. And then I'm going to commit to the target. And they're getting stuck in the planning section because they're aiming for perfection. Right? So they're going decide, plan, commit.
0: So they're never actually committing to the end target. They're trying to plan their way
1: to a commitment. The other alternative is decide, yeah, i going to get one one prop my first door, first duplex, Commit. It's going to happen. Absolutely. Do I know how? I don't know. So decide, commit, figure out how.
2: Mm. That's where people need to go.
0: All right. So I love this point. I love this point that Jason makes today is that so many people are... What I say, they're interested in real estate. They're interested in success, but they haven't actually fully committed to it because they don't know all the pieces yet. They don't all they don't haven't put it all together yet, so they haven't fully committed to it, and therefore they never take the steps needed to get to the point to committing to it. But like Dita says, like the first step is deciding: like, Mm -hmm. are you going to do this or not? Yes or no? Are you pursuing financial independence through real estate investing? Yes, I'm doing it. Are you committed to it? Yes, I'm committed to it. I'm doing it. Like no matter what, come hell or high water, I'm doing it. Now let's figure out how to do it there. And it's just a different way of thinking because so many people just think, well, how do I do it first? I got to know the whole step. Have you found that true in your own life? Do you feel like you made that adjustment? Have you always been this way where you just like, you know, decide you like,
2: have you been the opposite or which, which model have you followed? I got very lucky when I was young that I got into basketball at a very high level. And I wasn't, I was athletic more than the average person, but not compared to the really good basketball players I was competing with. And I realized that my athleticism improved, my game improved from hard work. My brain made this connection between if I stick with something and put a lot of effort, magically the results I get will come up. And then I just started applying that to everything else in life. And I think everyone kind of needs that moment in their own life, what it is. Hey, I didn't get good grades and then I learned how to study and I did get good grades or whatever. Because once you catch that momentum and that feeling, it starts to become very easy to say, hey, I'm going to do this and it's okay if I suck at it, I won't suck forever. I think if you've never had that experience, you think in your own head, either I'm good at it or I'm not. Oh, I'm not good at real estate investing. I don't know anything. I shouldn't do it. But life doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way for anything. Doesn't work that way for working out, learning a new skill, like snowboarding. There's no one that goes out there and crushes it snowboarding or surfing on their first time. There may be people that pick it up faster than others, but a lot of that is like, well, what other things in your life did you do and learn? And the synapses in your brain were sort of connected. So I think that's a big problem is if you haven't had something to build on in your past that this can feel daunting and you think you're doing it wrong. And another point that they made that I really liked is the idea of perfection getting in the way that's huge and as a performance coach I know Jason seizes this all the time I, I struggle with this. I'm looking at houses right now, a new place for me to go buy. I'm going to house hack in the Bay Area. They're very expensive houses. It's around a million and a half. So it's a pretty big decision. And it's easy to get sucked into, well, what's the perfect house? What's yeah. the very best one? And if I finally find the very best house, then the next question is, well, what if I wait? Will a better one come out? <laughs> and you never get out of that. What I now do instead of thinking what's perfect is I say, well, is it better than where I am right now? Yep. Then move forward. I'll get a, if I find a better house after this one, I'll buy it next year. That's such a healthier way to think instead of, am I in perfect shape to go work out? No. But would it be better if I worked out than if I didn't work out? And if we all sort of adjust our expectations with, is this better than where I am? Can I move the ball forward as opposed to, can I get a touchdown on one play? Progress starts to become a lot easier.
0: Mm, I really like, I love that analogy of like moving balls down the field, right? Like if you're playing football, every play doesn't have to be a Hail Mary like just continually drive that forward. And I think that's a big piece of commitment is like, I was like kind of 2019 or 2018, 2017 was like, you know, pretty satisfied with my real estate. I had a big portfolio, almost a hundred units. And I'm like, well, what do I do next? And I'm not really sure. And I was doing the podcast. I wrote, you know, I wrote a book and it was good, but I I was trying to make a plan on what I was going to do next before I was going into the like commitment phase or even decision phase. So it was like, I literally was like, like one day I was just like, you know what? I'm doing mobile home parks. Actually, I think I was with you that day. I think we were at a GoBundance thing. I was like, I'm doing mobile home parks. That's what I'm doing. And then it was like, I committed to it. I'm doing this no matter what I was in. And commitment is oftentimes, it's something we say, we can be in, intentionally committed to something, but then commitment is reinforced by the actions that we then take repeatedly, mm. right? So if you're committed to losing weight and then the next day you're going to McDonald's for every meal and then after that, you're getting Pizza Hut for every meal and like you're just continually eating fast food and junk food, are you like, you're, you're you're not really committed. You're just desiring it, right? There's a huge difference between desire and commitment. So I was like, I decided I'm doing it. I'm committed to it. I started taking little actions. started moving the ball down the field. And as a result, that I figured out the plan along the way. It's mm. like jumping out of an airplane and building your parachute on the way down. Like I figured out the plan. I made a lot of mistakes the first few months. And even in the first year, I did things I would, wouldn't do again, hired people I wouldn't hire again. But... Each of those things taught me a little lesson and we learned what better ways to do things, what not. And so like, because of that now is why we, I think, have grown so much. So it's just a different model. It's the decide, commit, then plan
2: model. Every good football player knows that the big plays come out of what you learned on the smaller plays. You run the ball, you run the ball, you run the ball, you start to notice that they're bringing their safety up to try to stop that run. That opens you up for the big play real estate investing is the same way. I'm analyzing deals. I'm making progress. I'm getting base hits. And then boom, because I'm in the game, an awesome deal crosses my path that I never would have saw if I wasn't moving the ball forward. So just adjust your expectations. It's okay if you're not on your very first deal crushing it. It doesn't have to be perfect. In fact, if you're trying to be perfect, you're probably going to get passed up by everybody who's not. Yeah, that's so true.
0: All right, for our last clip of the day, we're going to bring in Amanda Young. So Amanda Young was on show number four twenty two just a little bit ago. Uh, amazing show. A single mom who lost her job had no other options than to make real estate work. So let's hear from Amanda right now. So good. all
7: my bills are paid through my rental income. My mortgage, groceries, gas. I do not live an extravagant lifestyle. My my house is just a normal house. I drive an old beat up Toyota as a work truck. So. You wow. know, if if you're not extravagant then you can kind of get to a point where you don't have to have a W-2 income and what happened for me was the W-2 income was really holding me back in a lot of ways I did not have time to devote to real estate real estate was my passion. Because between the time I bought my second rental and then um, started my flipping business, I did have to go out and get another W-2 job. Um, and that really hindered my business in a lot yep. of ways. I, but I had to do what I had to do. And t- the end of 2018, corporate America quit me. And... <laughs> <laughs> my boss at the time sat me down and she says, and, and Kristen, I love you. Thank you so much. But she sets me down and she says, Amanda, this is not your passion. Your passion is real estate and you need to follow your passion. I have to let you go because I was in a sales position. I didn't meet my numbers. So she let me go, but she says, this is where you need to be. This is where you excel at. This is what you're passionate about. And one day I'm going to see you on TV. And uh, she (laughs) actually, she saw me on TV. I was on the discovery channel for doing what I do.
0: That's so cool. Yeah. I love that story. Cause uh, if you listen to the whole episode, she ended up, she was buying like houses with sinkholes, like Mm -hmm. problems. Remember that? Yeah. Super cool niche. Yeah. Super cool niche. And she ended up being on a discovery channel for that thing. So, but I I just, this is such a powerful statement from her. This idea of, if you keep your expenses low, like generally low, when you're trying to build financial freedom, it's so much easier to get that, to get out of the rat race. In fact, I do this webinar, you know, you do them a lot too, but we do these webinars every week for bigger pockets. And A lot of times I have a poll that I pop up. I say, how much money do you need to pay your bills? Like level one financial freedom. I like to say there's three levels, right? Level one is like, I can pay my bills. Level two is I can buy a jet. Number level three is I can buy the New York jets. So there's like the three levels, right? So level one, what do I need to be able to do that? Pay my bills. Some people say 3,000 a month. Some people say 2,000 a month. But like, I would say a good chunk of them say 15,000 a month, 20,000 a month, 25,000 a month. Just to pay your bills. And I'm like, man, the job is so much harder for those people than it is for the person that needs three grand a month. So when I was 27, I hit three grand a month. I was able to quit my job. And because of that, I was able to go invest all my time into two things, mm. bigger pockets and my real estate portfolio. And because I had that, I kept my my expenses fairly low. And then I just creeped up from there rather than making expensive high expenses high with your job. And then always struggling and never be able to leave your job. So if there's like, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of advice I'd give people. But like, if you're listening to this right now is keep your expenses low if you're not yet at that financial freedom number and then just scale with your finance, scale with your cash flow rather than scale with your
2: job income. And that's so hard to do. I'm so glad you shared that story, though, because I, I would think looking back, if we said, how did Brandon Turner become the legend? That was a big component of it is you made yourself. Uh, pivotable. You weren't weighed down. You could adju- you could make adjustments. You could take risks. You learned faster than other people did. Amanda was one of my favorite. Uh, interviews of the year and it her story reminds me of a scene in Batman I'm a huge Batman fan I love the Christopher Nolan movies (laughs) and there's a scene where they're all stuck in a prison and let's say that that prison would be not being financially free and the worst part of this prison is you can actually see the way out you just climb up a wall and you can get out of there so it torments you because you're looking at this carrot that you want so bad but you're reminded every day I can't climb that wall and I think that's how a lot of our listeners feel And the problem with getting out of that prison is you had to climb a wall and make a jump from one rock to another, and they would all tie a rope around their waist so if they missed the jump, the rope would catch them. That way they wouldn't die. It would hurt, but they wouldn't die, and nobody could make the jump and batman who was stuck in there talked to an old man who told him about the one person that made the jump and the secret was they didn't use the rope the rope was actually weighing them down what you thought was keeping you safe was preventing you from achieving your goal so in order to escape what he does is he takes that leap of faith he gets rid of the rope he makes the jump he catches the rock and he climbs out of the prison that w2 job that security for many people is their rope yeah. They're looking up and they want to get out. They've tried a handful of times, but that security was too heavy and it kept them from making the jump. So what Amanda realized was, hey, corporate America fired me or corporate America left me, whatever that was is a yeah. funny way of saying it. So she didn't have that rope. So she stumbled into this. Like I she meant and made it because she had to. She didn't have that thing weighing her down. You stumbled into being financially free because you had very low expenses. I don't think your plan was, I'm going to be a multimillionaire. Yeah. If I, you just knew, hey, it would be smarter to not have expenses. So- yeah. This is really about sharing how those people made it out of that prison so that more people can follow.
0: Yeah, and and one piece of just tangible advice in there, I wrote this in the book, uh, How to Invest in Real Estate, but I'll repeat it here. Uh, our income is oftentimes like this this creature. In fact, there, there's the, the movie Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. It's the Harry Potter spinoff. In there, there's this creature called like the Akami, the And this thing will grow to whatever size container you put it in. So they put it in a teacup. It's the size of a teacup. You put it in a, a bus, it, it grows to the size of a bus. Our finances are just like that. They grow to whatever size container you put it in too. So if you, if you just make 10 grand a month at your job right now, if you're listening to this, you're making 10 grand a month at your job, my guess is you're spending between nine and $10,000 every month. You might have a few hundred dollars a month you set aside for savings. You might have something, but everyone spends to what they make for the most part. And it's very rare to find people who don't do that. But those who do, I find most of the times follow this exact principle. I'm going to say here, and that is to find a way to shrink your container, and you won't even notice it. So if all of a sudden your container was only eight grand a month, you would mm-hmm. spend eight grand a month. You wouldn't. You would not notice. A, you wouldn't be cutting back. You wouldn't notice anything missing. You'd just be spending eight grand a month instead of ten. And then if you made that container seven. You probably wouldn't notice that either. Maybe you got down to like three you'd notice or four or five, you know. And maybe it has to happen slowly over time, but find ways to reduce your container. How do you do that? By having money sent from your direct deposit, if you yep. have a job that is direct deposit, have it sent to another account that you don't have easy access to without online banking or whatever. Uh, have it sent to another another system, pull more of it out into a Roth IRA, things like that. Ways to divert your money so it doesn't land in your in your account. Now who's the best in who's the best at understanding this and forcing us to all do this? The US government. Right? They don't tell you at the end of the year, pay us all the, the tax money they you owe us. They take it as soon as it comes they in. Take it when it comes in. Uh, and so, and I mean, I've known numerous entrepreneurs who, numerous entrepreneurs, in fact, most of them, who they make a bunch of money throughout the year, whether it's being a real estate agent, whether it's being, a, you know, a, a, whatever they do. And then at the end of the year, they spend all their money. They have no money for taxes because it's really, really, really hard to set that money aside every month. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've done it. There's been many times I've done it. I've spent the money I've set aside for taxes. And it's like, I got to scramble at the end of the year. So the government knows to take it away. So it's taking the same power, the IRS power and putting it in your own hands. And so that's just a good way to be able to limit that. So you limit how much you're spending now so you can spend as much as you want later. It's just sacrifice. It's what investing is all about. Fantastic advice. Thank you. I'm a fantastic beast. Now you know where to find me. (laughs) All right. Well, we got to begin wrapping this show up. This has been fun to kind of recap some of our favorite clips and episodes from the year. Of course, there are dozens and dozens of more episodes. We launched over... Sixty-five, maybe or seventy shows. I think it was sixty-five shows this year because we did one each week, and then we doubled up towards the end of the year. So, lots of episodes to go back and listen to. So, if you are looking for something to do over this holiday break or in the in the new year, and you want to fire yourself up, go listen to these episodes we just talked about, or go find one maybe that you have not listened to. David, what comes to mind for you if I had to pick like if you had to pick one of your favorite episodes of the year? I know I'm putting you on the spot here, and we're not looking at the whole list, but anything coming to
2: mind is like, oh yeah, that was a really cool episode. Amanda Young's the one we just heard was really really good Ben Hardy and Dan Sullivan yeah both those were awesome those were both really really good
0: All right, I'm actually I'm going to pull this up actually right now because I want to know some of these I kind of just scrolling through here some of the ones I mean there were so many good ones Uh, Greg Gade like he was my partner out here in in Maui he is awesome and he had a great story I love that episode Uh, I mean every one of these is awesome AJ Osborne was amazing Uh, Rick Jarman was awesome yeah so, yeah, Rick Jarman episode number, I'm not even sure what number this is, but it came out on July 29th. Uh, he actually passed away just recently, and uh, he was real estate old school on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Amazing guy, amazing dude, uh, but sounds like he got the coronavirus and, uh, like, hundreds of thousands of other Americans didn't make it, uh, which is terribly sad. So go back and listen to that episode. Maybe that would be a, a great one to go check out and listen to. And again, everything we talked about today. Plus, I mean, there's so many on here. I've, I could like list every one of these, but yeah. Well, we'll keep them coming in 2021 as well. So, thank you guys for being a part of the Bigger Pockets podcast. If you haven't yet left us a rating and a review, we'd appreciate that. And I'm gonna let David take us out of here.
2: All right. Thank you guys. Hope everybody had a great 2020. Let's go crush it in 2021. Bigger pockets for the win. This is David Green for Brandon, the Fantastic Beast Turner, <laughs> signing off.
3: to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for
2: informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves
3: risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital
2: you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.